Gen X Playback, episode number 32. Welcome to the Gen X Playback Show, your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are listening to Rick Okasik from the very famous Gen X band, The Cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason that we chose uh, Rick Okasik is we want to give a shout out to one of our longtime towns that have been listening to us since the beginning, and that is Baltimore, Maryland. And Rick Ocasek, that is his birthplace and hometown where he grew up. His family eventually moved into the Cleveland, Ohio area when he got a little bit older, but he was originally born in good old Baltimore. And you and I, as as teenagers, we frequented, went down there to a lot of sporting events and spent a lot of time down in the Inner Harbor over the last couple of decades. Sure. I, I did not know that Rick Ocasek was from Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, you know, he met Benjamin Orr out in Ohio, so that this is pre-Cars. And then, of course, they really break out in Boston. Yeah. So they kind of were an eastern, you know, east nor- northeastern part of the United States band. And I, I, I've i thought a lot about the Cars ever since we did your sh- episode on the wedding scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and you played played the song from the soundtrack, and I just kept thinking over and over again, that the cars should get more airplay than today, than a lot of Gen X bands that seem to get regurgitated when you're listening to a lot of the radio stations or satellite channels over the years. You don't hear the cars much at all, and I think it's a shame. Yeah, you know, you hear a little bit from, what was it, Heartbreak Station? Wasn't that the big album that they had and is that what that's Heartbeat city Heartbeat, that's right yeah. Heartbeat city is, yeah. is that what that one was from this actually was the one single that they released when they, they came out with the greatest hits after okay heartbeat city and this was the one single i the re, one of the reasons why i played this is because it was kind of the last hit that the cars as a band had before they kind of went their separate ways well you talk you know with heartbeat city and, and you know i drove blank on it there and you know probably part of that the reason is i didn't really love that album i mean it it was okay i know it was their most popular one but it it was it didn't connect with me quite as much and and i mean you might think is the one that you'll still hear played Mm -hmm. but i'm i'm really tired of that song you know when it came out i really did like the song magic and i thought the video was so clever uh, when they did you remember the the video for for magic where he's out standing out on the pool like he's standing on water Mm -hmm. and the and the funny story behind it was the very first time that he actually walked out there, there was so much weight from the water, and and as soon as he stood on it, the pressure and it collapsed on him, and he actually went, you know, took a header into the oh, pool. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And the uh, the house that they used to shoot the video in is uh, was owned by the parents of Paris Hilton. Oh, so the Hilton family. So you're just full of knowledge, right? Got that out. So what? I told you I was going to bring some game tonight. 
Yeah, and you know the the interesting thing for why I don't you know I'm surprised I don't care for that album that much because it's, it's a Mutt Lang album. It is, yeah. And you know up up until that point, I was I think I liked everything that Mutt Lang put out there. You know, he starts kind of comes into prominence with Farner. Mm-hmm. You know, then he moves to Def Leppard, and he, he's not at this point. He's not you know he hasn't moved on to Brian Adams yet. I mean that that would come later. That's that's like in the late 80s early 90s but you know he's he's probably the hottest producer out there at this time sure and i don't know maybe the maybe the cars fell into that trap of when they came out in the late 70s they were pretty much cutting edge new wave absolutely and it were very guitar driven you know it was yeah they they had they were part of that i guess you could fit them into that that punk at least you could put them right up against the songs that the police were coming out Mm -hmm. with at the time and you could argue and say that they were more successful. It, but as the 80s turned, their sound changed a little bit, much like a lot of bands did. And we've talked about that with, with some bands that have that changed their sound. Foreigner comes to mind as a big one. Chicago is a big one. And they they kind of went towards more of that poppy sound. And I think it sold them a lot, a lot more records. But those that were probably, I guess you could say, hardcore fans like you know Genesis fans say the same thing. They they took a turn. They made a conscious decision as a band, and it, it, they sacrificed some hardcore fans that you know would probably go see them in concert to this day. Uh, but they 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 made a lot of money from doing so. And this you know, Heartbeat City is a good, is a good, well produced album. Obviously, being done by Mutt Lang, but um, I, I don't think it quite carries the legacy as maybe some of the earlier albums did. Yeah, I'll I'll take Candio. Personally, I mean that that that's more in my wheelhouse for the cars, and they were huge. I mean they they performed at Live Aid, mm-hmm. they they sang Drive, they you know that that was a huge hit for them as well. But from what I understand, the making of that album caused the breakup of the band. I mean it it, it was kind of the beginning of the end for them, where it it just you know it was a difficult album for them to make. And, you know, Mutt Lang is notorious for being tedious mm-hmm. and, and taking forever to do albums. And and from what I've heard, it, it really led to the demise of the Cars. And they really didn't do much after that. They might have released the greatest hits and had a, had a song here or there. But in essence, the Cars were basically done as a band. They were. And which is funny because it caused the demise of the band. But I think for the most part, all the band members remained friendly. So I don't I don't think it broke up friendships. It just broke up the business aspect of the cars, and um, because I've heard, oh, I can't remember the drummer's name from from the band, but recently when Rick Ocasek passed away, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was Alan Hunter was interviewing the drummer on Sirius XM, and you know they they stayed they all stayed in touch. You know, unfortunately uh, Benjamin Orr passed away about twenty years ago and uh, but the other the other band members did stay in touch and and it wasn't they weren't it, it wasn't an acrimonious situation you know they weren't they weren't fighting for each other like Creedence Clearwater you know where you hear some of those horror stories about about the band members but. so that would have been David Robinson okay yes yeah, that would have been yes yeah. so he was he was interviewed and and he he said that you know they they had so many good times and yet it ended kind of on a sour note but they never, and they actually did re- reorganize and, and come and out play with some the, material. Yeah, you'd see them. I mean, right, you, there, right before Rick Akasic passes away, mm-hmm. for a couple of years they were out there 
making the circuit, appearing on some of the talk shows. I mean, that, they were still good. Yeah. So, Rick Ocasek, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, thank you for listening to the Gen X Playback Show. We love the fact that you check in week in and week out like so many of you all the time. So, we just got off of talking about the I Love the 80s uh, tour with, mm-hmm. the, with Rick Springfield headlining and the Hooters and Paul Young and Tommy Two-Tone. Uh, that was our music edition. Sean, you wanted to change gears a little bit, and so I'll turn things over to you. Right. So we're going to go back into the the movie world, and you know Scott, you know talked about you know with the cars, and of course you know the unfortunate passing of both Benjamin Orr and Rick Ocasek, the the two lead singers of the band, and that's that's one of the the things that we have here as Gen Xers. It's you know as we age, the the people that we uh, kind of set set the um, the pop culture for us, whether it be the music or the 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 musicians, the the actors, they're starting to pass away. And so, uh, about from the time we're recording this, about two three weeks ago, Paul Rubens passed away, and I kind of forgot about Paul Rubens to be honest with you. Of course, for those of you who don't remember, Paul Rubens was most famous for being Pee Wee Herman, mm-hmm. and it. As I, I, I thought about it, I said, you know what? We should go back and revisit Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which was one of the, I don't, say, it was, I don't know if it was one of the bigger movies of the 80s, but it definitely was one of the landmark movies of the 80s that kind of defined the time. Yes, it did. And those who remember Pee Wee Herman from the 80s, even before the movie came out, he was pretty well known. He was doing, he was... I guess he was kind of like the doing like the Don Rickles type thing where he would show up on all the talk shows. He spent a lot of time with David Letterman. He was on Letterman a lot. Well, and that's what kind of what I wanted to ask you. All right. So when the this movie comes out, it's 1985. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's July, <clears throat> excuse me, of 1985. I'm getting, re- I'm 17 years old, mm-hmm. just getting ready to start my junior year. And you are going to be a freshman. Mm-hmm. I was very aware of Pee Wee Herman, and I was a big fan of David Letterman. I I, I watched Letterman at least every Friday because uh, you know about the only night I you know could stay up that late with having school the next day. But especially in the summertime, summertime I, I we watched it like pretty much every night, right? Yeah. Because Letterman was so hip. And that's kind of what Pee Wee Herman was. And I remember Pee Wee Herman coming on the show, and he was someone I really enjoyed when he came on the show. Now, how much of that do you remember? I remember Pee Wee Herman from before Letterman, and it was that brief time that we actually had HBO. All right, that's the other thing, yeah. And it was right before we got prison. We had HBO for, what, about six months before uh, we switched six, Yeah, over. something like this, six months to a year. And he had a, he had a, a special, a comedy special, mm-hmm on HBO and and it wasn't uncommon for them to do that because I remember seeing Billy Crystal doing a stand-up special on HBO same same thing. But Pee-wee's act was much different. He didn't just stand up there and tell jokes. He actually had characters and it was it was a precursor to the Pee-wee Herman show that was on CBS Saturday mornings, which was very much a children's uh television show, but this one was definitely had a little bit more of an adult sense of sensibility and sense of humor to it. And I just remember watching that thinking that it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Like this, the scene where they hypnotize, was it Miss Yvette? Was it, uh, yeah, was it Miss Yvette? I think so. And that she, uh, 
you know, they basically said, ah, you're going to remove all your clothing. <laughs> I mean, that's not something you would do on Saturday morning children's right, television. Right. Um, and she didn't get completely, you know, take all of her clothes, but she went down to like a slip and she's walking around like she had no idea that she had taken her dress off, that kind right. of thing. But it was, it was the similar kind of humor that eventually makes its way into the movie. But Pee Wee, the character, was really well known. Uh, and you and I saw him a lot on David Letterman. And obviously, the sense of humor isn't going to strike with everybody. But it certainly did for you and me. It did. And, you know, when when the movie came out and it was kind of, you know, starting to get hyped, I remember being really excited for it. And I think it was two-part. Number one, it was, a, it was that HBO special. Mm-hmm. Which for um, our listeners, if you've never seen it, you can still watch it. It is up there on YouTube. You can you can see the recording. The you you get a glimpse of I think one of the first appearances ever on camera by Phil Hartman. You know he is Captain Carl. Yes, he is Captain Carl. You know even you know before you know deciding to do this episode, I re. I, I did not go back up prior to like the past week and look at some of. I, I didn't realize that episode was up there, the the HBO special. Right. But I distinctly remember Captain Carl, and I just remember thinking Captain Carl was so funny, where the the one scene where you know he comes in and he's like you know Pee Wee I got to use your bathroom, and he goes off and he comes back and and Pee Wee's like Captain Carl did you wash your hands and he and he, then he puts his hands on Pee Wee's face he goes no I didn't and he goes he goes ah of course I didn't and then they sing a song about washing your hands because. <laughs> yes. The, the whole stage show was, um, I mean, but what they did was they just recorded his concert. Yeah. You know, basically he would do these clubs. They, he, Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens were part of this group called the Groundlings mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, kind of an improv group. Um, John Lovitz was, came out of that, and they developed this character. And the idea was instead of having a, a stand-up act, they came up with this kid's um, a kid's show, basically, with, with uh, Pee Wee Herman. And the audience, well, it was like the audience, they were the kids there to watch the show. Right. It was, And that was kind of the concept that they developed for the movie. It was sort of this alternate... And, and I, how it, I was reading how, what Roger Ebert was, was describing about the movie when, when he wrote about it. It's like they created this alternate universe within society. So it's like they're grown-ups, right? But it it's like a children's sensibility, but some of the jokes are very adult. You know, it's like that. It was a really creative way of basically telling like Don Rickles jokes in a way, but clean, clean, and and it's like doing it as though you're pandering to children, right? It was it, it was a very it was incredibly unique. Well, I you know, and, and we'll, when we get into the movie, you know, I think we'll talk more about this. But what I always liked about the Pee Wee Herman character was it was obvious he was a grown man, but he acted like a boy, mm-hmm. like a little boy, and people would refer to him as a boy. Yes, you know, it's a, it's kind of like you're saying you're suspending reality a little bit where um, they he he's treated like he's a young man. Yes. And that that just makes it even funnier. Like he's like he's some type of adolescent, right? Yeah, like a preteen or. So I, once again, you know, talking about YouTube, I went up there and I watched a lot of the appearances that Pee Wee had on Letterman. And so when we, you know, he used a lot of that into the movie. Mm-hmm. So as a lot of comedians, what they'll do is they'll t- basically take their stand up, 
and then they'll, sure. they'll convert it into a television show or to to a movie. I remember uh, with like Everybody Loves Raymond, and the first season or so, it's the same jokes that I heard Ray Romano tell on the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. You know, early on because it was his act, yeah. and so they just kind of put it out there. The pilot episode to the Cosby Show is almost verbatim his comedy album himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember watching, and it's like I knew the punchlines because I already had the comedy sure. album. And yeah, I mean, it's really normal for for comedians to do that because they spend so much time on their material. Right. It's And what Pee Wee was doing with his show wasn't that much different than like the Three Stooges. You know, where it's it's got some physical comedy mm-hmm. to it. There's jokes. There's multiple people on stage. It's not just one, like Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney's not going to go up there with five other people and, and play out a scene. He's going to go up there and, and, you know, take you know take my wife, or that's uh, Henny Youngman. But they're going to throw out one-liners. Sure. And, you know, this was, this was more character-driven, and, and it was kind of like, almost like watching a live version of a Saturday Night Live on stage if they went on tour. And I heard Paul Rubens you know, say that he struggled as a stand-up comedian because he couldn't remember either the the setup or the punchline. He you could get one or the other out of him, and he kind of blow it. And he, but he was a good actor, mm-hmm. so he worked and developed this character with Phil Hartman. Uh, there's a little side story, and with with Phil Hartman, um, in the early days, Phil developed this character with Pee Wee, and. They go together. They there's the HBO special. Uh, out of that, you know, the Paul Rubens kind of works this for a couple of years. He eventually parlays it into a, a movie in 1985. Phil Hartman then is one of the co-writers mm-hmm. on the movie. He then Pee Wee is popular. He goes on SNL. He then takes Phil Hartman with him as one of his writers to go to SNL. Uh, Lauren Michaels is kind of impressed with with Phil Hartman's writing that week, and he eventually allows him to come and try out, and uh, he does become a member of SNL. But with you know with like people in the Groundlings and SNL, there's like there's like all these connections. Like Paul Rubens tried out for SNL right after the original cast went away, mm-hmm. and he lost the job to Gilbert Gottfried, and he thought his career was over. Right, and that really led him to develop this Pee Wee Herman character, because he said he was on the plane flying home, and he said, "I blew my shot. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I, you know, I'm never going to make it." He, as he said it, that him and Gilbert were doing similar characters, and he said he knew right away that Gilbert was funnier than than what he was trying to be that type of performer, and he knew he had no chance. And they didn't obviously didn't get the the part. Not that it ended up working well for Gilbert on SNL, but he ended up. Gilbert was a, a very gifted stand-up comedian. Right, right. So, Pee Wee Herman, you know, where Paul Rubens goes back, he develops this character, Pee Wee Herman. Did you hear the story about the first time Pee Wee appears on television? No. So Rubens, he he said it's it was a, a character that he kind of created. He he worked on a little bit in the past. It was something that he through the improv. He was something he th- he was throwing around, and then he just kind of was throwing this costume together, and this character kind of develops. And you know, for those of you who re- might not remember, it was the suit and it was the bow tie. It was a gray suit, red yeah. bow tie, and white shoes, like white uh, bucks. You know, the the suit is a little too small, 
a little too tight. The, the, the legs are, you know, the pant legs don't go all the way down the way they're supposed to. He just looks like he's gr- a kid growing out of his suit that his yeah. mom and dad would have bought him at the department store. Right, right. So he's looking for work, and he reads one of the publications, the trade publications, and he sees that they are doing a cattle call for the dating game. Yes. And he walks into the room, and he said that was the moment he knew the power of Pee Wee Herman. Because when he walked in, in character, and he goes, you could see the heads turn. Mm-hmm. And that the producers immediately were like locked on him. And that they were going to do whatever they could to get him on the show. Now, he goes on the show. I've watched it. Mm-hmm. And he does not win. And it's, it's, it's not quite the full, fully developed character yet. Was that 1979? 1979. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's... I don't know that timeline lines up exactly with the SNL story that he tells about like going back and developing it. I think maybe he had this Pee Wee Herman character kind of out there. I think so because I it was post eighty. Yeah, I think it was nineteen eighty that yeah. they tried because Gilbert Gilbert Gottfried was on SNL in like nineteen eighty one. Right. So that's why when I'm, I'm hearing these stories, you know, sometimes the timeline wasn't matching up. But I, you know, maybe he had this in the in the background, but then he decided he's got to invest his time in this Pee Wee character. So he, he's out and he works the show really, really hard. And it's super popular. And he, you know, it's, it's, he, he somehow lands this movie. And so we're, we'll get into it, uh, you know, soon. But, you know, kind of developing the movie. He's, he says he's on the set of Warner Brothers. And he's trying to come up with this idea. And he, he, he said, I kept complaining about, because when I look out my window, everybody in a movie sits riding a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And because that's how they get around. And he says, I was always, always complaining, like, when am I going to get my bicycle? And he goes, one day I walked out and there was a 1947 Schwinn bicycle that had been like fully restored and was sitting there and there was like a parking space and it was marked, you know, reserve parking for Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) And he said, the light bulb went off. And he said, that's my movie. Yeah, because they were working on something different. Completely different. Probably closer to what the show was. Yeah. The stage show. Yeah. And then he got the the idea of the bicycle and basically said, I'm starting over and writing a new script. Right. And I heard an interview with him where he said, to show you how long ago this was, he goes, I walked in and I pulled the paper out of the typewriter and (laughs) said, that's it. And so the, you know, we started over. Now... There have been many um, people that have, uh, from what Paul said, that they have analyzed this movie. And oftentimes it's taught in film school because it follows the perfect formula. Okay. And he said, there's a reason for that. He said, me and Phil, and I forget the other guy's name that, that worked on the film with him, that they had never written a movie before. So they, pre-internet, went out and bought a book. A book on how to write a movie, how to write a script. Michael Varhol was the there you other, go. other yeah. writer. Right. So they literally followed this book verbatim. Okay. And he said, so on page 30, we do this. Because it's... I did I did read that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like exactly 90 minutes. And it's true. I mean, I was... I, I watched it again last night. And it was amazing. It's like exactly 90 minutes. And he's right. In 30 minutes, it's like the plot twist. 30, 30, 30, minutes, 30 minutes, it twists He loses again. the bike. Yeah. Uh, 60 minutes he gets the bike right yeah. right and yeah. it's, it's just amazing how how strict to the structure they are and they said yeah we turned in a 90 page script 
And it was like exactly in page 30, certain things happen exactly in page 60, certain things happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's very interesting because, um, like you said, I mean, his, his career wasn't until he created the Pee Wee Herman character. He, you, you would see him occasionally. Like I remember he was in the movie, the blues brothers. He was, he was the waiter. Yeah. Yeah, sir, we, we serve a chateaus, you know, where they're trying to get the uh, Mater D to come back to the band. Right. It's Paul Rubens, who's the waiter in that movie for the Blues Brothers. I mean, you would see him occasionally. He was in so, one of the Cheech and Chong movies. But I'm, but I'm sure the, the bits and the, and the characters were hard to come by. Right, right. And they probably weren't paying that well. Mm-mm, they're probably just getting scale. But from what I understand, when this Pee Wee Herman character took off in the early 80s, it was very successful. Because John Lovitz talked about that, you know, in The Groundlings, you know, he could never understand Phil Hartman not moving on and trying out for SNL. Mm -hmm. And because they said he was always the most talented. Everyone always looked at Phil and said he was the guy. And they said Phil was 10 years older than everybody else. Yeah. He and, and I heard Phil say he's act was actually older than Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. You know, when he got his start and so Phil Hartman, his start was, you know, he, he was a graphic artist. He spent a lot of time with that. You know, he, he designed a lot of band uh, album covers for bands like the band America, Krause Seals, Nash and Nash. He designed their logo. So you know he had the successful career and then but he was bored mm-hmm. and he's an entertainer. So he decided to start doing this a bit, you know, a little bit later in life. But uh, Lovett said that you know Phil was one of the few people that he knew that was making money. You know, they he had an income coming in from the work that he was doing. Yeah, he wasn't a starving artist like everybody else was. Right. So those other guys were willing to like try it all. And, and in fact, um, they tell the story that there was one night uh, Lauren Michaels came to to the Groundlings mm-hmm. and. Everyone assumed he was there to see Phil. And they were stunned when he was not offered afterwards, and it was John Lovitz that was offered right. to come out and try out, because they just assumed Phil was the guy. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And like you said, so many so many people did come from the Groundlings pre, you know, before that, that group. And that Groundlings had so much to do with the formative years of Saturday Night Live that I remember. Right. In the mid to late 1980s, like you said, Lovitz, Hartman, um, you know, uh, Jan Hooks. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there were, there were a lot of people that were associated with the ground. Lorraine Newman, she was one of, one of the first members of the Groundlings. I think that was the connection that okay. that they got, that Lauren Michaels was able to get because Lorraine Newman was previously with like the beginning of the Groundlings. And then she would go back and and recommend Lorne Michaels come out and check out certain actors. Right, because the original group, they were mostly all from Second City. Yeah. Right. Correct. So, you know, that's all kind of set the stage leading up to the movie. So, um, to give you a little background with, with, with me and Scott, is the the movie's ready to come out, and we're, we're really psyched for this. So, it comes out, I think it debuts like July 19th. And... This was like a must-see movie for us. So about, I don't know, what would you say, two, three weeks after it it comes out, mid-August or so, like the first week of soccer practice. Mm-hmm. So it was it was Scott, it was me, my my good friend Greg Lapp, you know, one of my buddies, Bruce Leininger, mm-hmm. and and Scott, and we went to the movie theater, which was 
just down the road from our school. It's two minutes from the high school. It, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, it used to be, the, it was the Dutch Wonderland, which is an amusement park, which is still there, used yeah. to have a movie theater. Yep. And and they've since torn it down, and it's like a, is it a Cartoon Network thing, or? They put a hotel up okay. around there, yeah. Right, so, th- you know, and, and, and here's an, this kind of, I mean, I don't know, like, with our, our listeners, like, with siblings, and I was thinking about this, you know, the fact that I, I, a lot of my friends would not have taken their younger brother along to, to an event like that. Well, there were certain things, especially when it came to like movies and comedy, yeah. that we shared a very, the same sensibility. Like, right. We got the same kind of jokes. Right. We would make joke references that our friends would kind of stare at you blankly. And you and I would look at each other like, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> right, get, exactly. I completely understand what you're saying. And like you said, we were not strangers to Pee Wee before this movie came out. We watched him on Letterman an awful lot together because we would stay up, on, especially in the summertime. We would stay up super late. Sure. And, and, and it was kind of that the country kind of set up, I think, the success of Pee Wee Herman to this point. And my point to that is there was kind of a retro thing going on. And you know the there was the, the 80s there was kind of a wink back to the 50s oh absolutely and i think peewee's character kind of had a little bit of that sure because i mean we, we talked about the the bicycle it's a 1947 schwinn bicycle but look at his haircut and the fact that you know he wasn't dressed like some skater he was dressed in a very uncomfortable suit with a bow tie <laughs> true and wearing white shoes yeah. and it was just i think it kind of harkened back to that kind of that nostalgic vibe that was sort of going on in that early to mid 1980s. And I think he, he was able to kind of ride a wave that was, that was bigger than himself at that point. Right. So one night after soccer practice, uh, we decided we're going to head down there. Now, you know, um, we, uh, we, we hit the theater and I think my expectations were really, really high. And sometimes I'm let down when my expectations are that high, but I just remember being primed and I really expected a lot out of this movie. Well, I I remember us seeing the commercial on TV when they were promoting the movie. And I think you made some some reference to that saying it if it's as funny as this, it's going to be great. And because the, you know, the promo was was pretty funny right you know it showed a lot of the gags that were that were in the movie and it's like yeah but how many times have you watched a a, you know a promo or you know some type of a trailer for a movie and they're throwing every funny joke into the trailer and the rest is not that great well I, i think for you and i and hopefully for you listeners that that are you know fans of this movie it, it certainly it didn't disappoint for for me either. Okay, so let's get into the movie and you know kind of set the stage. There, there we are, me and my my brother were freshly showered after <laughs> after soccer practice. We uh, I'm not sure what we would have smuggled in uh, as far as uh, food and beverage because me and my my friends had a good routine down where you know that was back in the day. I, don't, I still don't think you're supposed to take food in. Well, I got to ask you this question. Yeah. I was trying to think back to, um, to to that night. Do you remember? Did Bruce wear a jean jacket and no shirt? <laughs> I 
I don't, but it's possible. Because I, 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 I kind of <laughs> kind of vaguely remember. That would have been in character for him to do something like that. That he forgot a change of shirt. You know, yeah. brought, you know we, we had practice. Yeah. And then we all, and we showered, but he did not have a clean shirt and, to and, wear. And, you know, I don't remember how planned out this event was. I don't think it was. I think it was me doing what I oftentimes do. I get into something and I just won't shut up. And I think I was just like gibbering and jabbering. And I was like, this, I got to see this, got to see this. And we basically, I think you and I may have decided we were going to go. And then I'm just talking it up. And I think Greg decided he was going. And I think maybe Bruce last minute decided he was going to go. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So there we are. And um, now later on, um, it, you know, like I said, we got pretty good at bringing, at bringing like uh, food in, some beverages. We didn't do it this time because, like I said, it wasn't planned out. But like in the wintertime, uh, we would wear trench coats because that was the thing back then. And I remember one time we, and I was, I think it was for Back to the Future. It was either for Back to the Future or for Beverly Hills Cop. We we brought an entire pizza into the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't along for that. <laughs> yeah, and we 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 you know, everybody put something under their trench coat, and that's so that's what we did. But anyways, we did not do that this time. But uh, we did go into the theater. We bought our ticket. We sat back. the uh, The screen goes black, and then of course we see the credits. And or I was not the credits. I but was the trying. Beginning. I was trying to look up and see how much a movie ticket cost back in the day. I think, if I'm right, we paid four dollars to really? see to see that. Okay, movie. that's yeah. good. Ben, good Ben. So this is the beginning of the movie, and we see a dream sequence with um, it's it's the Tour de France. Yes, and you know we see the the traditional cyclists out there, the Tour de France. But then, out of nowhere, this young boy comes flying through in this this beautiful 1947 retro uh, Schwinn red and white bicycle. And that Schwinn is so fast, he didn't even have to put on the racing attire no. to do it. He's in his normal gray suit yeah. and red bow tie. Well, and you know, interestingly, you know, we're, you know, I I was able to get the uh, the soundtrack for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The, the entire soundtrack's up there on Spotify. Thank you for that, um, Spotify. But, you know, that brings up kind of some some newbies that were involved in the making of this movie, right? So we have... We, we didn't even mention about the director, who's Tim Burton, mm-hmm. who's an extremely famous producer today. Right. But he was not back then. No, he was 26 at the time, I think. And he was kind of a... He had made some movies, and he... You know, not major films... But he was he was a, a big deal, and and when when Paul Rubens was trying to get a director for this this film, he said he had 150 names on the uh, that he wanted to come up with, and the studio didn't agree on, on any of them. But they came there was a name they came up with, and he did not like the name. He said it's going to ruin it. It's it's he believed in the script so much, and he believed in the character, and he said he goes my inspiration at the time was was Sylvester Stallone. Because Stallone stood his ground when everybody won the Rocky script, but did not want to cast him in it. Right. And he said, I have this deal. He goes, I, you know, they want me to play Pee Wee. Yes. He said, but I have to do what Stallone has done. And I had to stand my ground and said, I have to have my director or this will, this will flop. Because the type of humor he had was very, it, it was teetering on, on the cliff a little bit. Well, sure. I mean, you really had to have somebody that was in sync with what you wanted to what you thought was funny and i know I, you hear that 
often, especially with, you know, we talked about uh, SNL and the difference between Lauren Michaels and Dick Eversall. Now, Dick Eversall ran, he was the executive producer when Michael stepped away for about five years. And they said that Dick Eversall didn't know humor. He didn't know comedy. He knew how to structure things, but when it came to the jokes, he knew to step away because he didn't, he couldn't, he just, his ear just didn't recognize what was funny. He was more, he was into big slapstick. Okay. So Dick Ebersole probably would have thought Smokey and the Bandit was hilarious. Well, it is hilarious. But I, but I also think he would have stared in the blank space if Pee Wee Herman was showing his movie. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So he said that of all people, uh, Shelley Duvall was someone that recommended Tim Burton. It's okay. kind of an unknown, and he didn't he didn't know who Tim Burton was, so he watched, you know, his was it uh, Frankenberry or whatever is yeah something like that. I've never seen it, but I guess you know he kind of made this you know uh, this almost like an indie film that was kind of the rage, and everybody wanted to get this guy. So he went to the studio and he said, "I this is my guy. He'll he'll be perfect." And they said, "Yeah, you and everybody else wants him." They okay. go, "He'll never take it." And he said he sent the script to him. He was able to get it to him. And that, I guess I guess his agent at the time, or his manager, someone was able to get it to Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And he said, Burton read the script and immediately said, I'll do it. And so right now, it's going to be it's kind of a big deal. It's Tim Burton's uh, directorial major for a major film. Uh, it's his debut. But so he's new, you know, uh, Pee Wee Herman's, you know, Paul Rubens has never done anything. Right. He's he's known as as a comedic actor. But he's never acted in a movie. Maybe he's a little never, bit part. Yeah, he's there. never done. He's, he's never, never been, been a main character. Sure. And, you know, it's written by, you know, these these guys who have never written a motion picture before. They're using a book to guide them because they're doing <laughs> that's it, so, right? That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, but what does he do? Like, so Tim Burton, he goes after um, the lead singer for Oingo Boingo. To, of all people to go out and create the music for this film uh, is Danny Elfman, yeah. who since has now done like every Tim Burton movie. Right, and he's a household name now. He is now, and that that music that you just heard is, is Danny Elfman. Yeah. So basically, most everything is going to be Danny Elfman moving forward. So, right. you know, get that out of the way so we don't have to point that out. But it is not the type of music that you would have heard from Oingo Boingo. Yeah, and it's funny because Danny Elfman was like, what do you want me to do? Right. He's like, I've never done a soundtrack before. And for some reason, Tim Burton picked Danny Elfman to do the soundtrack for this album. And as everybody knows, he's gone on to do hundreds of, of soundtracks since. So that would be the equivalent of, of me back in 1986 going to Brett Michaels and saying, hey, Brett, I want you to score a movie for me <laughs> based on Look What the Cat Dragged In. There you go. Yeah, so but that's kind of what happened and so that that's what we get. So anyways, the beginning of the movie is is the stream sequence, the um you know, Pee-wee of course, he in this in this incredible bicycle that he has, he wins the Tour de France, they the podium, therefore where he's going to receive, uh, you know, the medal or whatever you receive for the Tour de France, um has like the Eiffel Tower there. It's like so very very French. Yes. And but right as he's about ready to get crowned or whatever they're, they're going to be doing, suddenly the alarm clock goes off. And it's now you realize it's a dream, and yeah. there's Pee-wee in his house. Right. And one of the things that I was struck with watching the movie, again, and 
you know, I'll point this out with watch, when I say watching the movie again. I said to Scott right before we went on, I was like, so did you watch the movie last night? He goes, no. And he goes, I've, I've seen it like 20, 30 times. And I, th- I said, I don't know if I've seen it since the night I saw it in the theater. Really? I Maybe once, maybe twice. Okay. But I don't remember seeing it on TV. Wow. I mean, it was on TV quite a bit for a long time. And, and I told you at dinner tonight that um, when the boys were right around graduating from high school and I made a reference about Pee Wee Herman and they, they're they like, what are you talking about? I said, you don't know Pee Wee's Big Adventure? And they're like, no. I said, I- I'm getting it. You're going to watch this. And I've, I've done that with a few things. Like I kind of shoved the Three Stooges down their throats. Right. I, I shoved Bugs Bunny down their throat. Mm-hmm. And I think they're glad. So at this point, by the time I said, you have to, like when I'm adamant and say, you have to watch this right. movie, they're kind of like, okay. So we went out, we rented it, we sat down, and they absolutely loved it. They, was, they thought it was hilarious. They got the jokes. Right, right. So I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And as, as I, was, I was watching it again, and you know, we'll pick up here where Pee Wee wakes up, and you're seeing his house. And it really brought back to me immediately his act that he had. Because yep. he would go on to Letterman, and he would always have these little kitschy gadgets that was like his thing. Mm-hmm. He made, I know Carrot Top does that now, right? right? But you know, Pee Wee Herman, that was, that was his thing. He would come out with these, these actual, not things that he, he had built, but he went out and he would find these little quirky things. And that's what he had his house decorated with. Yeah, yeah, he did. So from what I heard Paul Rubin say is a lot of the props in the movie actually came from his house. Okay. Or they came from Tim Burton's house. Okay. Now, some of them were props that they went out there and they got. And and Paul said that, and those props made their way back to my house. <laughs> well, and it kind of, the, the house itself, if you look at, you know, the way that the house is designed and, and built, it, it kind of does take you back to that older time period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a 50s style house like the old ranch house that you would see in a million developments all over the place except that it had you know enough ornamentation on the front lawn that you could like barely get around right and in the house too he had all this all of his gadgets inside the house as well but the opening scene or maybe it's not the opening because the opening scene was the dream sequence but when you see him in his house you really they lay the the, the groundwork for him being a boy being mm-hmm. a young a young man where he gets out of bed. He puts the bunny slippers on. Yeah. He immediately gets down on the floor and he's playing with trucks. And, you know, it's, there's all these toys everywhere. Um, you know, then he, he, he goes downstairs. You know, it, well, it, I like the fact that he had, has in his house what I always have wanted in a house, a fire pole. That's right. <laughs> Where he he he's you know he's dressed in his pajamas and his bunny slippers. He goes down the fire pole and it's like Batman. And he comes down fully dressed. He's fully dressed and he's wearing the uniform. Yeah. You know, it's the the gray suit, the red bow tie. He's got the white buck shoes on, mm-hmm. and and then it's the Pee Wee Herman that, uh, that that we all know and love. And then of course we meet his dog, little, little puppy, not not Spot, but Speck. Speck, yeah. which, which you know, just this adorable little dog and. So then Pee Wee goes over, and he starts up this breakfast machine. Yeah, and it, it goes back to, again, something that was really popular in the late 50s and early 60s called erector sets, where people would construct these 
elaborate metal um, tubing and things where they all the all the all it would do is move wheels or run like a car. Mm-hmm. It was hooked up to power, and so he starts. He makes this thing, and it's got cuckoo clocks and bowling balls and candles, and it's kind of doing everything to get automatically get his breakfast made. Sure. It's cracking the egg into the skillet. It's pouring the batter for the pancakes. It's got it's got the bacon. It's going to put the toast in. He's having going to have quite the feast. Yes, he is. And international IHOP has nothing on <laughs> on his breakfast. And so, but he's you know he totally he he starts the machine, lights the candle, whatever he does, and and he's off. And because he trusts that this machine's going to work, and so then he goes into the the bathroom. And he starts brushing his teeth, and he's. Um, I always laugh. Well, I, you know, I, I shouldn't say always, but I laughed when I when he walks into the bathroom, and he like, it's like he's going to look outside, and it's a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, just just his reaction kind of really, it was just funny. I I liked when he was posing in front of the mirror when he had it, put the tape on his face. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes, it kind of the shot cuts away and goes to his breakfast being made. And the next thing you know, the shot goes back to him, and he's got like his whole head wrapped in masking right, tape, right? Because he he just started with like one corner, he pulled his nose back, and the next thing you know, he's he's covering his old face. But when he's in the bathroom, he has one of those old style scales that you would you know pay money to weigh yourself. And you remember how much you weighed? Ninety eight. Ninety eight pound weekly. Yep, that's, right. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's right. why I made it ninety eight. Yep. And then it kicks out a little like fortune. I wouldn't leave the house today. <laughs> that's right. Don't yeah, don't leave the house today. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Hey, he was warned. It's about to become one of the, the, the worst days he's ever had, but hey, he can't say he wasn't warned. So he, he goes out and now there's this big breakfast. Huge and, breakfast. Huge breakfast. And somehow the machine made the breakfast like a face on his plate. <laughs> did, so yeah. the eggs are the eyes and the bacon is the mouth. And then Mr. Breakfast starts talking to Pee-wee. Good morning, Pee-wee. <laughs> and the breakfast uh, decides he wants to eat some Mr. T cereal <laughs> in- right. instead of like being eaten himself. <laughs> That's right. And Mr. T cereal was a thing. It was a thing. Yeah. And you know, so he's doing his, he's talking to his breakfast yeah. and then he starts doing his Mr. T impression as Pee-wee. Yeah. You know, I pity the fool that doesn't eat my breakfast mm-hmm. cereal. But even down to when he was buttering his toast, he had like a huge knife. Yes, that's true. It was true. like almost like a, a clown knife. Once again, everything in, in his house is like catchy. Yeah. And it, it which, I th- you know, just adds to the charm of it. But then he, he dumps the Mr. T cereal on there. And then he's, despite the fact he's got this huge breakfast, what do he takes about two bites? He takes one scoop and chews for like 30 seconds and he goes, ah, and then leaves everything else <laughs> He gets behind. like the little napkin out, starts like mm-hmm. patting his lips, and, and then he's off for the day. It, well, just just to jump in there, I, I think, you know, the, the fact that, you know, like you said, everything in the house is kind of larger than life. It's mm-hmm. kind of like if you were a kid, like what would you consider like the, the greatest playland sure. to be? So it kind of takes away from I, I, the audience is learning, okay, so there's no parents around, right? Uh, you know, so it's like, is he an adult? Is he a little kid? But he certainly is, seems to be living alone, and he, you know, he has a dog, and 
you know, a single family home, so he, he must be doing okay. But I'm not sure. You, you I, never really go into that, and I, th- but, I think it's kind of cool that yeah. that they were able to kind of steer your attention away from maybe asking those questions. Right. There's you, now, granted, this whole movie takes place over like a day or so, so a couple of days. So it, it's we we don't know if he had a job that he didn't <laughs> just didn't go to, right. Or oh, it, this could have been a Saturday. I was thinking about that when I was watching the movie. That you know, maybe this was his day off, and he's he's you know has this adventure that he just drops everything for. Right. But he um, after breakfast he goes out, and then we kind of see another main character uh, where he is looking over his shoulder, and he starts putting this like code in. Uh, <laughs> And he's really concerned about this. And then the, the, the hedge kind of opens up. And here's the other character be the bicycle. Uh-huh. And when he sees it, he's here, good morning, I'm here. Because, it, 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 you know, they have the lights so bright mm-hmm. and the, the, the bike is shining. Oh, yeah. And so, it, yes, he, he obviously, in just one quick shot, you immediately know how much his bike means to him. And just like his house the bike has like everything that i don't know what age kid would want it's like if if you could have had like unlimited resources to to design your bicycle when you're eight mm-hmm. peewee has come up with it yeah so it's everything from the little vanity license plate on the back to like the the little tiger that he has there the the uh the the kind of the the spokes that he has on the bicycle that kind of are you know round and uh, I mean, th- this is, it, it's like over the top. Where I, I can remember watching the movie at the time thinking, all right, what, what's the big deal about this? But now that I'm older, I look back and say, like, yeah, that is an awesome bike. <laughs> I, I would rather have like a retro 1947 bicycle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So he's, he's he you know, wipes down the bike. As Scott said, we really get to know how much this bike means to him. And as he's he's walking out the street, we see someone else who might be a boy might be an adult and it is his nemesis it is francis played by none other than ralph seymour uh who you've seen around the guy it was a working actor he was in a lot of stuff i think one of my favorite ralph seymour characters was in the movie uh teen wolf with michael j fox he was one of the guys on the basketball team and he had no athletic ability whatsoever, and somehow at the end he turns into a, you know, a star. And it's clearly obvious that he's probably pushing late thirties at that time too. <laughs> yeah. And it's supposedly a movie with uh, in high school, but yeah, he plays the part of Francis, and we find out again very quickly that Pee Wee and Francis uh, aren't necessarily friends. Well, and we see that you know well. Francis is. It, we're told that it's his birthday, or Francis announces to Pee Wee that it's his birthday. Yes. And while you said that there's no sign of an adult around for Pee Wee, well, Francis has, lets Pee Wee know that his dad says he can have anything he wants on his birthday. That's and right. What he wants is Pee Wee's bicycle. And I, I apologize. I got that. I got that name wrong. Uh, Ralph Seymour was actually a character who's going to be coming up here in a little bit. So. I, I got that wrong. I do apologize. Um, but, yeah, continue. Okay. Sorry. So, the, the Francis, um, he wants to buy Pee-wee's bicycle, and Pee-wee is incredulous with this. And it's kind of interesting <clears throat> watching the movie where this is a, a little snippet where they put some of Pee-wee's stand-up mm-hmm. into the movie. 
where there's this back and forth where it's like, I know you are, but what am I? Mm-hmm. Which was kind of a bit that he would do, you know, kind of how the, the kids would talk to each right. other. And, you know, it's like the, the um, he, he has a, um, a line that um, he says, um, or Francis says, make me. And Pee Wee goes, I don't make money, monkeys, I just train them, <laughs> which is so stupid, but yes. it's, it's, it's like what kids would say in a playground. <laughs> Absolutely. And Francis is getting madder and madder because he's not as quick-witted as, <laughs> as what Pee Wee is. Not that, you know, I don't make monkeys, I just train them is not, it's not quick-witted, but in this argument, it, it is. Right. And so then Francis changes and he tries to like appeal to Pee Wee's, you know, softer side. Pee Wee, listen to reason. <laughs> it's like... I told you that from the mo- first day I saw you with that bicycle, how much I liked it. And what does Pee Wee do? Pee Wee's like, he, his- cup- he cups his ear and he looks away, and Francis is trying to get his attention. And Pee Wee's like, shh, I'm listening to reason. <laughs> right. And then when he says, when he tells the story about, you know, how much he, he always liked the bicycle, and a classic Pee Wee line is, I love that story. <laughs> and then he just kind of walks off and leaves Francis. You'll regret the day, Pee Wee Herman, or or whatever he said. Yeah, be sorry you ever ever uh, met me, Pee Wee Herman. Because you know, Pee Wee basically says he would not sell his bicycle for a billion jillion dollars or whatever the number is, and Francis says that's just stupid, and you know, of course he would, but he he doesn't. So he goes off, and then we we have our our next scene where it's it's Pee Wee riding the bicycle through the park. That's right. And he has the big. He has got the mm-hmm. little loudspeaker on the side of his of his bicycle because we find out that this bike has everything at, attached to it. Well, and and while Pee Wee's kind of you know going through the park, he's he's looking around. He sees what the the kids on their BMX bikes are doing, and they're doing some tricks. Yeah, they're like spinning the the front tires, and they're doing wheelies mm-hmm. and. Uh, as Pee-wee's trying to do, so he starts out sl- small by kind of riding side saddle on the bike, and then he tries. Well, he tries to do a wheelie. Sure, but the bike's too heavy. The bike's too big. Yeah. yeah. So then he starts going. He goes starts going side to side, and you know he's he's trying to impress the other kids. Right. So as he's he's riding along, he's he's as he saw the other kids like standing on their bicycles, he decides he's going to do something like that and. He of course falls off of his bike, and he he rolls to a, a, a group of kids, little kids. They're all there on their bicycles, and he pops up. and What does he say? I meant to do that, right? Which is what you would say when you're a little kid, of course. Well, because everybody, you know, he does this great spectacular fall, and he gets up, and everybody's just staring at him like quietly. So. He has to say something, right? So he says, "I meant to do that." Right. So he he goes from from that you know that scene, and he's on his way kind of to the town area where he's going to do some shopping. And but before he goes and does his shopping, he's going to secure his bicycle because yeah. he loves that bicycle. And of course, the the lock is kept in his little side compartment, right, on the back tire. And he starts pulling this chain out, and keeps pulling and pulling, and, and pulling. he has this massive chain, and there's this this mechanical clown. That's right there where everybody has their bikes. It's amazing, Scott, how many people had bicycles in this town. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were bikes everywhere. Yeah. And so he he wraps this chain completely around the clown and completely around the bicycle. Well, that's the one thing that I I still see to this day, like when we go to the beach 
you know, you go to like shore towns close to the, the ocean. A lot of people still ride their bikes mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. yeah. That's the, the bike store that you could rent bikes from down in Ocean City, New Jersey is like the one on 34th Street is almost always sold out. I'm a big fan of riding a bike around yeah. town. I mean, if, if if I have the ability to like park the car and just ride a bike, I, I'm all about riding the bike. Sure, definitely. So he, he, he now secured the bicycle. He's going to make his first stop. He's going to go off to, to the magic shop and he's going to, going to see his good buddy Mario. Mario. And, and Pee Wee probably is mario's best customer i would guess so yeah <laughs> yeah because he uh he is mario is overjoyed when <laughs> pb comes walking in yeah and he uh immediately starts you know pulling his stick and starts to try and sell him some some goodies some that he actually has right on him at the at the uh at the time right and but before that we see kind of once again Wee's stand-up act mm-hmm. where this is what he would do in letterman he would pull a toy out and then he would do like the funny little voices and tell a little joke. Now, my favorite line that he said in the in the magic store was he he had like the little Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist doll, and he goes he goes, uh, "How do you like school, Billy?" Closed, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was good. I hadn't heard this 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 line in like you know thirty five forty years. That's good. Yeah. And I was like, I had to write that this down. This is this is gold. I'm gonna have to use that one myself. But you know, he's he goes in there, he makes a selection. Oh, I like the one with like the the fake X ray glasses where he looks at the woman and he pretends like he can see and gives her the th- wink and the thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, Mario um, has these items. Yeah, Pee Wee's selective. He's not just gonna buy anything. You know, certain things like there are these. These uh, these glasses that he, he ends up buying. He's the discerning customer. That's right. That's right. And he got some uh, trick gum. Trick gum, yeah. Right. So he he leaves Mario's and he well first of all Mario asks me if he's just browsing and he goes he's stocking up on supplies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you go to the to the magic store to stock up on supplies. So then he leaves there and then he goes to probably his other favorite store, which would be Chuck's Bike Shop. Chuck's oh, Bike Shop. It'd be Chuck's Bikerama. Yep. And yeah, Chuck is the he's the hangout because all the cool dudes are hanging out there. You know the uh, the the other the BMX bike riders mm-hmm. and Pee Wee's you know trying to trying to be cool around them. And so, but Chuck also has somebody that works there that has this little uh, suite on Pee Wee, right? And we get to see Dottie, mm-hmm. and you know when. In fact, this this is obviously known that Dottie has a thing for Pee Wee because the guys at the bike shop start to kind of tease Pee Wee about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is after Pee Wee says, you know, that Dottie's working on something and they're like, well, what is it? Well, he can't talk about it because it's kind of James Bond stuff. And so it's kind of secret. Turns out Dottie was repairing his horn. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we find out, like, Dottie really likes Pee Wee. Yes. And she um is you know it's it's you know i i'm trying to remember what i would have thought when i saw this at the time you know how if i would have thought it as a charming is what i do now but kind of watching dotty's like nervousness and how she's like trying to ask peewee out on a date when he's like you know uh you know serious like like pay attention to me and then then peewee's doing nothing but being obnoxious to her yeah and then she like wants to ask him out to the drive-in and then he's he's got just the, one of the greatest lines. He's like, "I like you, Dottie. Like I like you, Dottie." <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so poor Dottie, you know, she gets shot down. Uh, do Do you remember? Um, 
she she went by Elizabeth Daly in this movie, but then she eventually became E.G. Daly, is what she goes by now. Yeah. I mean, you know what she's doing now, right? I mean, what she's famous for now. Have you? She is. She's the voice of Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. I did not know that. Yeah, she. Yeah. Did you remember what she was in before? She was in Valley Girl. She was in Valley Girl. So I knew who she was. Right. And I remember the moment I saw the film, I'm like, oh, that's the girl from Valley Girl. And didn't really think much about it other than that. And then I have, you know, doing the prep for this episode, I found that she is quite a successful voice actor. Okay. And, you know, she, you know, has not just the Rugrats, but she's done multiple things. In fact, she said that in one interview that whenever Hollywood um, they, they will cast these young boys in, in, in movies. And then when they want to go back and touch things up later on, they've aged and oftentimes they've hit puberty right? where their voices aren't the same. So she will go back and touch up um, when they need to change things. And she said like an example would be, and she is the one singing the, the Jake, version of of the song in two and a half men for the opening theme that's her really and she said because you know it's the guy who played jake wasn't a singer right and they wanted a, a boy with kind of a little you know kind of a scratchier voice and so she was able to pull out she said that is her voice in the in the opening theme well it makes sense because you know a long-running show like the simpsons if they would have used you know, Nancy Cartwright mm-hmm. is the voice of Bart Simpson. Right. And that's why Bart has been able to stay, his voice has been able to stay so young for 35 years is because it's been done by a female. Right. And she says she does a lot of that, probably more than people realize. It's just going up and touching up things in movies. There's a network of voice actors that I'm sure do quite well in, in Hollywood. Right. But he, here's here's a, a, a tidbit that she said in the, in this one interview was, you know, she was asked about Pee-wee's Big Adventure mm-hmm. and that she said she received so many marriage proposals <laughs> because of that. And Dottie is cute yeah. in this movie. She is she is very attractive, very cute. And I think, I was trying to think why that would be, why so many marriage proposals, more this than other roles that she's had. And I think it's because Pee-wee's kind of this nerdy guy. And the nerdy guys maybe watching the film thought, I might have a shot. You know, here she's sweet. She doesn't, she doesn't, wouldn't shoot me down. You know, she seems to not be superficial. She kind of likes this, this quirky peewee right. guy. I don't yeah. know, just a theory. I, I think it's a good theory because it absolutely, how many, how many shy guys, uh, you know, are afraid to talk to a girl because they think that she's going to snub them. Well, here she's kind of, ex, you know, exposing her heart. Right. To Pee Wee, right? Pee Wee's not interested, <laughs> right? But it, I, I, I can see why. I can definitely see why, right? And so w- when when they cast her in this role, they did a great job because, uh, uh, e.g. or Elizabeth, whatever she's going by, she is is just a, a great Dottie, where you just instantly like her, mm-hmm. and you 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 know, like I said, you're she's kind of like, you know, I've talked about like Paula Abdul being America's sweetheart mm-hmm. at times, and that's kind of how she came across. Sure. So. You know, Dottie gets gets turned down. Pee-wee, uh, he leaves. But then he goes back to his bicycle. Or where he thinks he... His bicycle. And oh no. The bicycle is missing. And the clown is there almost like mocking him. Yeah, the, all the lock. All that chain that he used to lock that bike up. Yeah. Is just laying there in a heap. 
Right. And the, uh, yeah, because he chained the bike to the clown. And the clown with the smiley face is now, and you can hear the laughter, the ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like his dream day is now turned into a nightmare. And But after turning her down, who does Pee-wee go back to when in need? He goes to Dottie. Yeah. And he does it in spectacular fashion, too. <laughs> yeah. Walks in the door, yells Dottie, and hits his new horn, which sounds like a truck horn. And then he collapses and knocks over all the bicycles. Yes, that's right. So, of course, then they have to call in the uh, the paramedics to revive Pee-wee after this happens. Because, you know, this is, this is devastating. And the cops are there. And, of course, Pee-wee wants, you know, basically a dragnet put out there. I want answers. Yeah. I want somebody to find my bike. Right, and of course, the now we see not just the the, the alternate world, but with kind of a little bit of the real world here, mm-hmm. where they're like, uh, it's just you know, bicycle. You want to come down to the station, fill out a, a report. Yeah, we can help you with that, but that's the best we can do. And is it at this point that that Dottie says that Chuck was willing to give him a a break on a bike? No, that, the, that, comes, that comes in the basement. Okay, I, I I'm pretty sure that. That I, I could be wrong, but I mean, I it's, think it's possible. yes, that's right because Chuck finally speaks in the yeah. basement when he has the community gathering. Right, right. Okay. So the, uh, but so Pee Wee does he does go to the police, and as he's talking to the police officer, he, um, he has a theory that the Soviets are involved, <laughs> <laughs> which is just great. Well, we never find out what he does for a living. <laughs> right. we, you know, it's, it could be possible. Hey, we talked all about the Cold War and our that's, our Miracle on Ice that's right. episode. So, Gen Xers, you know, we, the, the Russians, we were thinking yeah. the Soviets at, at times could have been involved. Yeah, it was still Brezhnev. I don't think Gorbachev took over at this point right. yet. But. but then, you know, the police officer, she says to him, is there anyone that, you know, basically might, I forget how she phrased it, but but who who would have, like, have, like, been interested in like the bike and suddenly he's like francis that's right because he's just kind of normally talking and then he gets this different kind of voice and he goes francis and he like gets up and runs <laughs> and, away and, does, and just immediately gets storms out of, out of the uh, police station it's like i it took him all he didn't think about that before <laughs> but there it was the wise police officer um it, it, you know, said it was Francis. So Pee Wee goes storming over to Francis's house, this mansion, walking very angrily. Oh yeah, goes up to the door, starts pounding on the door, and then he does these little taps on the it's door. Bang, 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 tick, 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 tick. Right. And then there's kind of like this bodyguard butler who looks like he's out of a Bond film. He's he was a, in. Yeah, the Bond he was the film. guy with that. The he was the, the hat. hat dude. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, he goes. I want to see Francis, and he's like, Francis is busy. Busy doing what? He's having his bath. And what he's, he he had some wisecrack. Some like where they hosing him down yeah. or something. Oh really? Where are they hosing him down? And they close the door on him, so he yeah. bangs on the door again, and then he they open it up again, and he's like me again, and, and then they, they shut the door on him. But this then then of course then we hear the door knock again, but we we see from the other side from where the the bodyguard is, and we hear this tap, and of course he angrily opens up the door, but it's one of those little gag little woodpeckers that's like just tapping on the door. And, and he's able to sneak past him. He sneaks past him, and he, he makes his way upstairs to where Francis is taking a bath. In a pool. In a, in a pool, and once again, this kind of grown man acting like a little boy playing with toys in the tub. So I apologize. The actor's name that played Francis is Mark Holton. Okay. Okay, so Mark Holton, I 
if you're listening, I apologize. Um, but yeah, he played the part of Francis. It's like, hey, too. that was like my biggest role. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Come what on, Scott. Doing? But yeah, Francis has the same sensibility that Pee Wee does. Yeah. Except Francis has parents at home. With money. Very, a lot of money. Yeah. They're quite wealthy. So, um, you know, they, there's this fight that takes place. Real funny scene where we see, you know, Francis, of course, he decides to hide from Pee Wee by going under the water. And then we, we can see from the camera's point of view, Pee Wee stepping into the pool and mm-hmm. just his shoes, the white shoes coming down and walking towards Francis. They, they're kind of fighting it out. And then finally, um, you know, the adults come into the room and, you know, uh, Mr. Buxton wants to know, you know, what proof Pee Wee has. He doesn't have any. And of course, then he apologizes and, and shakes Francis's hand and he says he's sorry. But as a token, a gesture of his goodwill, he gives uh, Francis and his father each a piece of gum. Yes, he does. Which happens to be the trick gum that he bought off of Mario at the, at the magic store. That's right. And as you see Francis chewing the gum, dad figures it out. Francis continues to chew the gum, even though his mouth is turning blacker and blacker. Well, dad got the fruit flavor. And right. so I guess that was the spicy one because okay. he starts screaming because it was really hot in his mouth. Yeah. So we, we leave the Buxton mansion and then we see Pee Wee, um, with Dottie, and he's putting up a $10,000 reward for this bicycle. Maybe he has it. <laughs> Maybe he does. And Dottie was like, you know, how are you going to afford this? He goes, well, if someone returns the bicycle, it means they stole it. And I, they don't deserve the money. That's right. Um, so then he, we then cut away, and we now see Francis with the guy who stole the bicycle. And Francis wants nothing to do with this bicycle anymore. He is, his nerves are shut. Um, and the, the guy that stole it kind of has like this hearkening back to the 50s, this greaser look going on. That was Ralph Seymour. Okay. And I do apologize. And I looked up Ralph Seymour's career, and he's like this unbelievably respected stage actor. Really? Done Shakespeare, and he's done all kinds of Broadway. He's got a great singing voice, and he has just this little, little tiny part in the Pee Wee's Big Adventure movie. And he could talk like a hooligan. And he <laughs> yeah, because he had the cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. Well, they, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we course. assumed that they were. But it was, you know, he looked like something straight out of 1952. Right, right. So he, he takes the bike away. Francis gives him a wad of money. And then he says, well, you know, it's going to take more to get rid of it. But then he goes w- walking off. and That'll cost you extra. Yeah. <laughs> So, See you later, sucker. So then we, we go to the meeting that Pee Wee has called to discuss the bicycle. And he said that he has 270 pieces of evidence that he's going to go over. Of course, this evidence is a picture of him. That's one. Then a picture of the bicycle. That's two. Then the picture, and then the picture of like what him and the bicycle. Yes. Or, and then it's like, and then what's missing from, from this picture? And it's, it's the bicycle. It's, like, it's just it's, him. It's me without my bike. And at that point, somebody turns to speak to some of the person seated next to him. Is there something you can share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? Which, if you remember, that Amazing Larry had like this, this spike mohawk thing going on, multicolored. Yeah, and it looked like an Indian chief. Ama- the, the, just the phrase, Amazing Larry. Yeah, <laughs> and Amazing Larry looks back and he's got this surprised look on his face. But that's part of the, I think that's part of the charm of the movie in... Pee-wee's comedic sensibility is the fact that they would throw stuff out there. And that was from a stage show, too. It's like kind of the things you would never expect. Yeah. And to see a guy dressed like a Native American chief. 
with with rainbow mohawk. Yeah, uh, you know, in the middle in the middle of his basement, as he's looking for you know for his bike, it was just one of those little little jabs of humor that that you just it made we were laughed we were we were uh, laughing heartily at that point. And the amazing Larry's reaction, where he he seems horrified that he's called out, was <laughs> was so spot on. And do we ever see Amazing Larry anywhere else in the movie? Nope. Nope. And no other reference. It's, that's the only time Amazing Larry is even uh, referenced. Amazing Larry is gone. Yeah. So uh, eventually, uh, Chuck from Chuck's Bikerama mm-hmm. stands up and he, he points out that they've been there for three hours. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, they, they don't really see the point of what's going on. And they're they're kind of tired and they're, they're going to go leave. And so, you know, Dottie you know, tries to console Pee-wee, I think that's when she yes. brings up about that. You know, Chuck could give him a good deal on a new bicycle, right. and he he just he just freaks out. Yeah, he wants nothing to do with it. He he loves his bike, and he's going to do everything he can to look for it, even if he has to comb the streets in the pouring down rain. Right. So, after being really mean to, to super cute Dottie, he goes storming out, and he's in the rain. <laughs> 